because our Father comes with us. In Jesus' name. Wow. Well, yes, it is an unusual morning. Um, and we'll see what we make of it. Uh, many of you will be aware of the prophetic picture that we as a leadership team had of an aeroplane. And that prophetic picture helped to clarify our cultural values in our church that we consider to be very much part of us. Um, and so alongside our primary vision statement about knowing Jesus and making him known, we felt that our cultural values came out of this image of an aeroplane. And uh, just uh, with the help of the technical team at the back, I'd love uh, us just to be reminded of our vision and values. So can you guys just show that little clip, if that's okay? Our culture, a body built on integrity, encouragement of one another, and the identity we have in Jesus. The things that lift us like wings in balance, our trust in God's word and encounter with the Holy Spirit. Our devotion is the fuel. For the adventure we are on, exploring our vision, knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, team. That was very well done. Um, so, yeah, so as you can see, integrity is one of the values that make up the body of our aeroplane. So, um, and, and with this in mind, a while ago, Steve Painter came to me uh, and he came to me to speak about the subject of integrity and the subject of aeroplanes. Because uh, Steve uh, teaches about aeroplanes, which is an unusual thing. Not many people teach about aeroplanes, but Steve does. Uh, and I felt there was something quite prophetic in what we were talking about as Steve came and, and spoke about it. And I, and I know Steve would say, oh, I'm no prophet. I'm no prophet. <laughs> That's what he would say. In exactly like that. Um, he'd say, I leave that to others. I leave that to others. <laughs> I think I've gone a bit North Whalian there, but uh, he will come and correct me in just a moment. I'm dreading what his response will be to that. Um, but So I'm going to give Steve an opportunity to talk for a little while about aeroplanes, right? Uh, and then I'll follow it up and bring some biblical application, which I hope will encourage us and help us. I told you it was unusual. So let's welcome Steve as he comes, shall we? Can you all hear me? I can't let that go, can I? I wonder if you really knew that Terry at one time worked for Rolls-Royce. Did you know that? And uh, in his uh, concentration and specialism at Rolls-Royce, he used to work for engines or at, on engines. And one day he turned around to the designers there and said, um, did you know I've invented a new engine that works on natural gas, the same stuff that we supply to our house? And they said, Fantastic. Let's go work on it, Terry. So they worked on this engine. Unfortunately, it didn't work because the first gust of wind blew the pilot out. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. 
I wonder what you think of, what goes through your mind when you hear the word integrity? Now, in general, there are actually a couple of definitions that we can look at, and here's one of them. It's the quality, if we can have that slide up, it's the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, someone of good character or who is virtuous and has a sense of decency and truthfulness. However, there is a second definition which is often applied to things rather than people. And here's a second one. It's the state of being a whole and undivided, something which demonstrates a level of coherence and togetherness. Now, this definition, this second one, might not be so surprising to you if you realize that the word integrity actually comes from a Latin word, integer. And if there's any maths people here that teach maths, they'll tell you that the word integer means whole or one. So this morning's talk is going to concentrate on this second definition. So if you just take a big look at this picture that we've got over there and uh, with the aircraft and the, and the engine there with the propellers and stuff, integrity appears as part of the list and it describes various qualities of the church. Now, how all this comes together in a spiritual sense, I'm going to leave to Terry, thankfully. But what I'm going to do is for about 10, 15 minutes or so, is to shed some light about how important integrity is to an aircraft. Just what is aircraft integrity then? Well, as you see on the screen there, there are three pictures. And in general, it comes to a number of different areas. The one on the top left-hand corner, there is a picture of an engine. And you can see how big it is in comparison to the guy trying to work on it. This is under an area called propulsion integrity. The one on the top right-hand corner is a picture of the cockpit. And that is demonstrating what we call systems integrity because it's all about the avionics and the, uh, the radar and also how the, the um, pneumatics are happening in the aircraft and all this comes up on these little dials in the, in the front of the aircraft. The bit that's on the bottom is the bit that I'm interested in because it's also dealing with how the structure of the aircraft is put together and that's normally just termed as structural integrity. So let's have a look at a definition then of structural integrity, shall we? Structural integrity is the ability of an item to hold together under a load, including its own weight, resisting breakage or bending. It assures that the construction will perform its desired function, its design function, sorry, during reasonable use for as long as the designed life of the structure. Now, despite this description sounding detailed and somewhat technical, what I'd like to do is to extract some information from it, just four points from the statement itself. Shall we just put those four up? First of all, it has to remain whole, hold together. Secondly, it has to perform its function. Thirdly, it has to resist forces. And fourthly, it has a determined life. 
So let's look at the first one then, and that's to remain whole, to, 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 main, to remain together. Now, one major consideration for integrity is actually this, the design of the aircraft. If we can put up the next slide, please. Now, this is quite probably one of the most important pictures in aviation history. It was actually taken 113 years ago, just before Christmas, and the two guys that you see there are a couple of bicycle repairmen. It's Orville and Wilbur Wright, the Wright brothers. Now, contrary to popular belief, the Wright brothers weren't the first guys who flew. There were lots of people flying, and including them, before 1903, but they flew gliders. This is the first picture that we know of where we see someone putting an engine on an aircraft, and that's what's important about this. Now, when you look at the structure in a bit more detail, you can see on the screen there, this thing, it had a top speed of about 13 meters a second. That's just about faster, only a smidgen faster than Usain Bolt, although I think he'd probably give it a good go. It has no big fuel tanks. It has no undercarriage to help it land safely. It has no big outside metal frame. In fact, when you look at it at first glance, it seems quite flimsy almost, you know, very almost toy-like in structure. It just has a couple of wooden sections which were made from spruce or ash. Connecting the wooden sections together, making those box bits are actually piano wire. And the cloth which makes the wing used to be stiffened with a glue material, and it was called doping. But underneath that skin, underneath that cloth, is quite a detailed structure. And here we see the beauty of it in a second. Okay. Now, pay particular attention to the wings here. They have a front section. Uh, if I can just show you on this. Can you see all that red dot there? They've got the front section there, and they've got a rear section there, and these are called spars. And these spars are there to give the aircraft wing its strength. The curved bits in between, these bits that go at right angles to the spars, are called ribs. And they're there to give the aircraft air, um, wing its shape, its curved shape. But it's also there to connect the front spar to the back spar and strengthening it yet further. But let's go and move on a little bit in years, shall we? Can we have the next slide up? Now then, any spotters amongst you here? What is this? Again, please, I can't hear you. It's a Spitfire, yes. It was only about 30-odd years later. Its first flight was in 1936. Only 30-odd years later. Now, this didn't fly at 13 meters a second. It flew at 162 meters a second. So I'm sorry, Usain, you haven't got a chance in this one. The aircraft is, of course, extremely different to the Wright Brothers aircraft. Its purpose was very different. The Wright Brothers' purpose was just basically to carry a man. The purpose of this is a fighter aircraft, so it looks entirely different. But what about underneath the skin? What does it look like there? Well, here's a picture of underneath the skin. Now, in certain sections, which we, we won't be doing, but 
there's these circular parts here which are called frames, and they're connected by long metal sections called, funny enough, longerons. But if you take a look at the wing section in more detail, there you see almost exactly the same thing as the Wright brothers had. It has a front spar here, it has a rear spar there, and they're all connected with these curved sections called ribs. You'd think maybe after 30 odd years that they would have improved the design somewhat, but they did not. The aircraft had a different purpose, yes. It looked different, yes. But underneath the structure was the same. What about a modern aircraft then? Well, now that's what most people think of when you say aircraft these days, don't you? It's a jumbo jet, okay? Not designed to carry one or several passengers, but hundreds of passengers. But its job is entirely different to a fighter aircraft. You know, where fighter aircraft can do loop-the-loops and all the rest of it, you'd be very upset with your dinner in front of you if they decided to do that on the way home from Mallorca, wouldn't you? Its purpose is entirely different. It looks different. It's huge. It's enormous, great big thing. But surely you might think now, after a hundred years of aviation, that actually the way that this keeps its integrity, the way that this keeps whole would have changed because somebody would have thought a better system. Can we have the next slide, please? This is actually what it's like underneath the skin. It's a huge mass of metal parts, but they're all interconnected together in such a way that each part supports each other and gives strength to it. Once again, if you pay particular attention to the wing, there you see, just the same as the Wright brothers, you have a front spar, which is here, going all the way along the wing, and a rear spar, and all the ribs are connected to it. After a hundred years, they haven't improved the structure, have they? Okay, and it's this that gives us our integrity, this is the thing that gives us our completeness, our whole, our coherence to the aircraft. So this then brings us to our second point about the aircraft performing its function. Can we just put the, the picture up here? Thanks. Now, in order for an aircraft to do what it's supposed to do, it's the owner of the aircraft that makes the decision about how high how far, uh, how fast the aircraft should fly. Also, he makes the decision, the owner, with regards to the conditions of the air that the aircraft can fly through. If you just remember a couple of years ago when there was a volcano that went off in um, um, Iceland and the aircraft were told, don't fly anywhere near there, your engines might get uh, damaged somewhat. But it's the, it's the owner that makes that decision. Now, all of this what we call the envelope, and if you hear about the description of going to try and think outside the envelope, it's actually an aircraft term. All of this is decided upon by the owner in a book called The Statement of Operating Intent. This is how the aircraft should fly. This is what the owner says. You should do it like this. And this decides how the aircraft performs its function. Okay, the third thing that we need to talk about are flight forces. Now, flight forces generally come in two different forms. They come from those which are outside and those which are inside. The outside forces, as you see on the top 
uh, left-hand corner are generally considered as four. There's thrust going forward, drag pushing you back, lift pushing you up, and the weight of the aircraft pushing you down. Now, it wasn't the Wright brothers that thought of this. They were very grateful to a Yorkshireman called George Cayley, 50 years before the Wright brothers flying gliders. Don't know much about him, do we? But he was the guy that uh, he's written in lots of the Wright Brothers books saying, oh, for goodness sake, thank you, George. We wouldn't have been able to do this without you. But these, then there's internal pressures. The internal ones are on the top right-hand corner there. And these internal pressures generally come from the pressurization in the cabin. And there are, the higher you fly the greater difference there is between the outside pressure and the inside pressure. You can see um, maybe on the, on the, left, on the extreme right-hand side there where there's a big arrows pushing. And this actually is one of the reasons why when you do your cooking, why your sausages actually split down the center. The difference in pressure inside because of the heat actually bursts the skin and it bursts it lengthways. Just in case you didn't know. My daughter, Rachel, comes to me sometimes. Look, and she, she hates flying, you know, but she puts up with it because it gets her to where she wants to go. And she says to me, Dad, is flying safe? Can we put the next screen up, please? You know, some research was carried out at an A&E in the UK. You all started reading it, I know. Where all the accidents were logged together, and they found that these were the statistics that Actually, one in 65 chance of being injured by a vegetable. And I, I've never been injured by a vegetable, but I can understand something might get choked, you know. At one in 80 chance of injured by socks or tights. One in 153 have been injured by a welly and all the rest of it. The one that uh, the one that I can only imagine being difficult about is that the one in 250 chance of being injured by a clothes basket. Now... <laughs> I can imagine it might be heavy when you pick it up, but that's about it. What do people do? I can, I can really understand how you can injured from a beanbag. That I can understand. But look, what about aircraft then? What about aircraft? Look at what it says in the bottom. In an aircraft, a critical item, and a critical item would be something like a turbine blade or a, a combustion blade. The critical item has a one in two thousand chance of producing a, just a crack. Not just a crack, but within the whole lifetime of the aircraft. That is the detail that they go to to try and keep you guys safe, or us guys. Which is actually works out to about one in one million flying hours. That's an enormous sum. But aircraft do not have a finite, have an infinite life. They have a finite life. All things come to an end. I'd like to show you a picture of a graveyard. This graveyard is a special type of graveyard. It exists in Arizona. There's a few of them. Um, and it's there for aircraft. They don't fly anymore. That's it. They're, they're finished with their life. Their life is determined by the owner and set in this statement of operating intent. Occasionally, you do have life extensions. Military aircraft have some of those sometimes. But this is the graveyard. Now, they just don't sit there and just rust. They are stripped, uh, what they call a... Um, oh, golly, I can't remember the name now. 
they're stripped apart anyway, tear down. They're stripped apart and all of the parts that can be recycled are recycled and made into something brand new. So basically from the start to here is a real whistle-stop um, tour of aircraft integrity. So now, Terry, please. Good today, thanks. Thank you very much, Steve. I'm terrified of flying, I hate it. Um, but for exactly the same as Steve's daughter, I do it because you get you from one place to another. I was very interested in Steve's de definition, first of all, um, of the integrity of an airplane. This was the description, the state of being whole, one, undivided, having coherence, togetherness. Uh, and with that in mind, I'd like to read straight from Ephesians 4, from verse 1. Um, and this is where we're just going to look today briefly as a Paul writes to the, book, to, the, to the church in Ephesus and to the churches around that area. This is a circular letter that Paul's writing, Ephesians 4 from verse 1. He says this, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to, to to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In all, all. <laughs> but to, to each one, uh, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, jointly held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So that's quite a big passage of Scripture. We're just going to look at different aspects of that. But with, uh, with it, having in mind this statement that Steve made about the state of being, integrity uh, is about the state of being whole, one, undivided, this sense of coherence, togetherness. Uh, and so we've got just two weeks speaking about integrity. And next week, Ian Henderson will be here national speaker, known for speaking at events like Soul Survivor and Spring Harvest. That's next week, this wonderfully excellent national speaker. This week, it's me and Steve talking about planes. Um, so next week, Ian Anderson will be talking about personal integrity. But this week, the focus is our corporate integrity. And I want to use the analogy that Steve has brought through this discussion about airplanes. I want to use this incredible passage from the book of Ephesians. And I want us to think about different aspects of what holds us together. What holds us together? Because I believe this passage is about how we are to live and work together in unity. Because we are called to be one people. 
We're called to be a holy people, and we're called to be one people. So as we think about structural integrity, as we think about the structural integrity of our church, I want to talk about the essential ingredient of unity. Some of you will, heard me, will have heard me say this before, but who has read the famous five books? Anyone read the famous five books? And they're great. I used to read them as I was, when I was a child. And one thing about the famous five was that they were ever so posh. Weren't they posh, the famous five? They, they ate cucumber sandwiches uh, and lashings of ginger beer. Did they not? That's true. And they made a statement which I never really understood and I had to really work out what it meant. They used to, they used to call each other bricks. Do you remember that? Oh, Julian, you're such a brick. <laughs> oh, Julian, you're such a brick. I didn't know whether that was a, a compliment or an insult when I was a child. Um, but apparently it was a compliment. Um, but uh, very interestingly, uh, we are not bricks, you and I. We're not bricks. When it comes to being built together in the body of Christ, we're not bricks. We're living stones. And I like that because bricks are boring and regular and square, whereas living stones are all sorts of shapes and sizes and all sorts of different things. But the thing about living stones is in order that they can be built together to form this wonderful corporate temple full of the Holy Spirit, living stones have to be chipped away in order that they can sit together well. And so there's bits and pieces to do with living stones in order that God can build his corporate temple. We need to fit together. We need to fit closely together. The living stones need to fit closely together and and we are described, the church, the congregation, the people of God are described as living stones being built together. Not bricks, Julian, not bricks, living stones. So as we consider unity, interestingly verse 2 discusses some of the characteristics which are vital in order that unity comes, in order that we function well together. So Paul mentions things like being humble and gentle. Can I make this statement to you, which I really, if you remember nothing else, remember this. I believe that humility is essential to unity. Humility is absolutely essential to unity. Verse 2 also mentions patience. Patience. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever struggle with someone who gets on your nerves? Oh, goodness me, that was quick. Someone was... (laughs) had a bad morning. Um, you know, sometimes, have you ever thought to yourself, oh, how long am I going to have to suffer this person? Maybe you're thinking that now, actually. You know. No, don't all rush to my defense. Have you ever thought, oh, you know, when we're existing together as Christians together, you, have you ever thought to yourself, I hope heaven's a big place? I thought that sometimes, you know, plenty of space, that's what I'll need. Um, But we're instructed, are we not, to bear with one another. This is about mutual acceptance. Without this attitude of mutual love and care and concern, it's actually impossible for us to exist together in community. And can I say to you that unity doesn't just happen, it's not just simply downloaded from heaven, we do actually need to work at it. Differences can lead to division, but that shouldn't happen in church life. When Steve talked about the importance of 
the aeroplane holding together or remaining whole. He talked particularly about the fact that each aeroplane, I was fascinated by this, each aeroplane, no matter how old it is, no matter how fast it goes, actually that it had certain things in common. The basic structure of a jumbo jet is still the same as the basic structure of that very first plane built by the Wright brothers. And there are certain things that have united aeroplanes throughout history. And in the same way, we, as, as the people of God, we need to concentrate not on the things which divide us and separate us, but the things that unite us. And actually, that's what Paul does in verses 4 to 6. Look at that little bit there. That's just a wonderful passage. He talks about one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Now, observant theologians amongst you may notice there's a Trinitarian ring to that passage there. Spirit, Lord, and God the Father are mentioned. Within the seven different elements that are mentioned there, three of them represent the Trinity. This is a powerful statement. The one God in three persons and His unity is indestructible. The indestructible unity of the three persons of God. But notice that the other uh, elements that Paul mentions in regard to unity here, the other four elements uh, which are intermeshed within this statement about the indestructible unity of the three persons of God, intermeshed in that we have the other characteristics which are all about, all representative of the church. One body, one hope, one faith, one baptism. And so our desire is that we as a church are united and we are united by our commitment to the framework that we live within the context of. And that framework, ultimately, notice that Steve very particularly talked about the wings. The framework of the wings were the common factors. And the wings in our church represent trust and encounter, word and spirit. And I want to suggest to you that the framework that we operate under is exactly the same, just like all the ancient aircraft are the same as the modern aircraft, just with us, the framework under which we operate, word and spirit, is exactly the same framework that the first apostles worked to. Word and spirit. Why would that be? Well, there's a very good reason for it, and verse 14 tells us why. It says, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is head, that is Christ. So we as a church can only function, the people of God can only move forward, the aeroplane can only fly if we are united under the authority of the word of God and we are continually seeking the unity of the Holy Spirit. Word and spirit. Terry, this is so obvious. But sadly, tragically, that's not the case for every church in our nation right now. And we are determined to maintain word and spirit. And as we do this, I believe flowing out of us, we will see the things that Paul mentions. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. And this is how we resist the pressures 
that can be placed upon us as a church. Remember Steve talked about internal pressure and external pressure. Summarized with two words, bursting sausages. <laughs> the church can battle with external pressure. That brings us back to verse 14. Every wind of teaching. It's out there. If you want to find it, you could find whatever you want to hear. Whatever you want. Every wind of teaching. When we look at what our culture is teaching, we recognize, boy, we are countercultural. The church is countercultural. Morally, ethically, spiritually, every wind of teaching is out there. It's like a hurricane. But we resist this external pressure as Christ appoints his people. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, in order that we are all trained, we're all built up, that we are a people prepared for service. Verse 13 mentions unity and maturity. I believe this is just really important for us to get hold of. Mature Christians can resist external pressure. Mature Christians can resist external pressure. And united Christians can resist internal pressure. Because internal pressure comes from jealousy and gossiping and factions and division. And, oh, I don't like the way they do that. Oh, I wish it wasn't him preaching again. Or, oh, I could do a better job than that. That sense of division and disunity is internal pressure. And just like in an airplane, as Steve was saying, that will ultimately be suffocating. But we counter this by being united in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we're not authentic. That doesn't mean that we don't say if we think there's something that's wrong. It's not, you know, put up or shut up. It's, it's about, you know, actually, you, but we do that in an appropriate context, to an appropriate person, in an appropriate way. We're united under Christ. Verse 16 tells us that from him, the whole body joined together, Held by every supporting ligament. Reminds me of what Steve has just said. Grows, builds itself up in love. As each part does its work. Every part has, has a role. Each part does its work. Steve mentioned the importance of function. We are called to know Jesus and to make him known. We have a very clear function. We're growing together. Steve's final point is that um, aircraft are recycled and made into something new. Well, yeah, we'll do, we'll, that'll, that'll be it for us as well. That's good, isn't it? One day we'll be part of the new Jerusalem. We'll have new bodies. I'm really looking forward to mine. Um, it's not that funny. <laughs> but, um, there'll be a new heaven, a new earth. You and I will share in that. We're continually now being renewed but the fullness of that will not be experienced in this life. And yet, whilst we're here, we have an opportunity to demonstrate something of heaven on earth. Just a couple of points of application, then I'm done. Disunity often comes out of unforgiveness. Let's make sure we're not holding things against each other. Rather, let's ensure we're bearing with one another. So if there's something sitting 
within you you haven't yet dealt with or forgiven, then my encouragement is you do need to bring it to God. I had a picture of people walking behind Jesus, following Jesus, but they were struggling to keep up because they had rucksacks on their back and they were sort of carrying things. And, and Jesus looked around and said, what, what's that? And the person said, oh, these are my bags. I take my bags everywhere I go. And Jesus was sort of, well, put your bags down. For goodness sake, put your bags down. Bags of bitterness or bags of unforgiveness. There might be other bags, bags of anxiety, various bags, but put them down. Don't let things sit and fester. Bring it to God. Secondly, just to reiterate, let's rely upon both wings of the aircraft. Let's be word and spirit people. Because I think some of us will be inclined to one or the other. Well, I'm a word person. Word, 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 word. I'm a word person. I'm a spirit person. That's caricaturing. The reality is, let's encourage each other to focus on both word and spirit. Let me tell you, I'm so encouraged by our church in so many ways. Just recently, I've heard of so many stories of how different people in this room have loved one another, served one another, encouraged one another, prayed for one another. I would, su- I would suggest that to the extent that this aeroplane is in the air, we are determined that the wings of trust and encounter, word and spirit, will not allow us to be knocked off course. And the desire is that we will be built together in such a way that enables us to resist both the external and the internal pressures that might come against us. And all of this is in order that we can truly perform our function, fulfill the calling on our lives, which is to know Jesus and to make him known. I'm done. Let's stand together. I'd love us just to conclude by worshipping God, just coming back to that place where we are acknowledging and recognizing we are one people, we are a united people, and therefore we should be able to stand together as one and lift our heart and our hands and our voices together as one, bringing worship and honor to the one who designed us. Steve talked, didn't he, about that operational design. Father, I thank you so much that you have designed us for purposes that are exciting and adventurous. And we don't want to lose sight of them, but we want to stand as one people. We want to demonstrate the power of the unity of your spirit in this family. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.